And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Premier League Round 11. From the Blades breaking their duck to Man City's Crispy Doku to Liverpool's clash with the Kings of Kenny. We round up all the weekend stories, the contests, the controversies, the not concussions, and more in this Totally Football Show. It's Sunday evening, the 5th of November, and look at this, there's uh, Carl Anker here with us in person. Hey, Carl. Hi, James. Nice to see you. Sasha Gurinov's also with us. Hi, James. Hi, Carl again. Hi, Sasha. Matt Davis-Adams, say some hellos. Hello, I'll be your uh, East Midlands-based virtual correspondent for the evening. Uh, stepping up, first reserve, I like to think of myself. Excellent. Actually. Sasha, you're going to be our goalkeeping Judge and jury today. There's plenty of things to be discussing. And Carl, you'll just be reveling in the madness that, uh, that was match day 11 at the Premier League. Marinating it. Mm, very nice. What a, <laughs> what a weekend. Uh, Saturday lunchtime, Man United went to Craven Cottage and claimed uh, a victory. Because of that late leg goal by Bruno Fromage. In the afternoon, Sheffield United got their first win of the season, 2-1 against Wolves. Everton-Brighton finished 1-1. Brentford beat West Ham 3-2. That's the Beast's third straight victory. And Palace won 2-0 at Burnley. That's Burnley's sixth straight defeat at home. As for Man City-Bournemouth, billed as the most one-sided fixture in English top-flight history, well, it didn't disappoint. A 6-1 victory for Pep Guardiola's side. And with Arsenal losing 1-0 at Newcastle on Saturday evening, that means that City move... Three points clear of the Gunners on top of the table while we wait for Spurs-Chelsea on Monday night. Sunday then, saw more drama. High-flying Villa coming a cropper at the city ground. A 2-0 win for Forrest. And then, at Kenilworth Road, Luton won, Liverpool won. And that's where we'll start. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Just outside the Luton penalty area. Here's Elliot. Good ball into the far post. Diaz! Oh, it's come off his shoulder and into the back of the net! Luis Diaz, incredibly, given the week he's had, is off the bench and scores an equaliser for Liverpool. Extraordinary scenes Sunday afternoon at Kenilworth Road. Liverpool had gone to the struggling, newly promoted side. Certain Darwin Nunes had blown a certain number of chances when, oh my word, Luton produced that counter-attacking goal and seemed poised to take only their second win of the season against the Merseyside Giants. But then, Sasha, then. Then, Luis Diaz basically comes on and becomes the hero um, at this uh, testing time for him. Obviously, his dad is still being kept hostage somewhere uh, in, I think, eastern Colombia. Um, Though I do hear uh, from people who understand Colombia a lot better than I do that he should be released soonish because the guys holding him, they're also coming under a lot of pressure at home 
And I think we don't realize what a big thing this is in Colombia at the moment that his dad is being held hostage mm. and the swell of public opinion, um, you know, for him to, to get out. But also I think... Sash, you know people who know people. Who are these people? You know, people. Okay. Uh, but, um, but I think we could lose this as well. I think sometimes... And obviously his situation is beyond anything I experienced in my life. But sometimes, you know, when things are not going well, it's just nice to go to work and take your mind off things. And I think also with him, I think you could see, you could see how much went into that goal. How, you, know, you know, how he rose above, above, above the Luton player and effectively wanted it more in that moment. And I think for him as well, it's such a release. And I think I think it's 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 a lovely lovely moment. Yeah, well, it'd be even lovely if he did get a that release. And mm-hmm. and I'm sure everyone's thoughts are with him. Tr- tremendous news if indeed mm-hmm. that does come to a, a, a successful resolution soon. But it, the fact that it was him, Luis Diaz, I think even though Luton had seen this three points, this massive three points snatched from them by that goal, I don't think. Any of their players seemed that bothered. I mean, they all seemed delighted for for Diaz almost when they were they were over celebrating with him at the end. A lot of them. It was a curious ending to this game and a weird back and forth. I think just before Diaz's goal came in, Sky Sports did a graphic saying Luton had something like seven shots on goal compared to Liverpool's twenty three, and obviously shot twenty four is Diaz's. Looked like a header. I think it went in off his shoulder, and at the full time whistle, Diaz took a knee. You know, that thing where. You, you pretend you're tying your shoelaces, but actually you're just taking stock of the moment as other players. And it looked like Taif, Taif Chung also had a little moment with him just to, to say hello and I hope you're doing well as well. So it's one of those moments where it feels like sport is almost an inadequate descriptor and a way to, to talk about what is a really, really serious situation with Diaz in his own life, his goal celebration as well. Yeah. With the shirt saying "Freedom for Freedom for Dad," Matt, you saw the second half, but not the first, because you were on your way back from Sunday's earlier game, the uh, Forest Villa clash. Yeah, that's right. Which also saw the home side uh, have twenty six percent possession, as was the case in the other one, um, but somewhat more successfully, you might say. But yeah, you know, Luton haven't been getting bashed by anybody since the first couple of games of the season, have they? They were beaten heavily by Brighton and lost 3-0 to Chelsea. But other than that, they've been in games up until this point. But I think we were all kind of expecting them to be a bit more competitive maybe than they have been at Kenilworth Road. And and this felt like this was the first time that that had really been a, um, air quotes, difficult place to go for a team who's visited. So that's going to be crucial for them, isn't it, over the the next couple of weeks. They've got Arsenal and Manchester City to come at home before Christmas. So I guess this gives them some confidence going into those games, although ultimately they didn't see it out and win. Mm. The point does lift them out, out of the bottom three for now and lifts... Liverpool into the top three. Did anyone you wanted to pick out from the Luton side? I think, um, I mean, I've been a big critic of Luton because I thought the quality was just not there for them to be in the Premier League. And I think it is hugely impressive that within, say, 10 games, you know, I think they're, you know, almost up to speed. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you look today, I mean, obviously a lot of compact defending, uh, almost 5-5-0 at times. But the way the goal was executed, you know, a break off a corner, that's what kind of Liverpool do. I was like, hmm, I've seen this before, but, you know, <laughs> guys wearing different shirts. And also, um, there was a lovely piece, um, I think, by Kiva um, a few days ago uh, on the whole XGOT, you know, how, how well the keepers do. And, you know, Tomasz Kaminski is, is up there leading it, you know, in terms of overperformance. performance. Um, and, you know, I remember seeing him at uh, Luton's first game back home 
when uh, you know one of the goals was on him and like the rest of the team he just didn't seem to be at, at speed and now he's you know he's I think with Premier League that, that gets most places the speed at which mm-hmm. things get done and I think he sort of reached the game much better today and I thought his, jo- his save against Jota in the first half was phenomenal because for all intents and purposes Jota was going far corner across him but Kaminsky waited he didn't guess Jota went near post he saved it I thought it was a remarkably good save actually okay do you want to say any words on Darwin Nunez? Uh, I went to uh, Bournemouth on Wednesday. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, the Darwin Nunez goal was mm. right in front of us. Mm. And um, in fact, his miscontrol was almost directly towards, towards <laughs> us. And we were right behind him as he bent it in. And as soon as he left his foot, you knew that was in. And that was in abysmal, like, horrible conditions. Today, you could see Darwin Nunez was the, you know, he was the tip. And you know, I think he had nine shots, not that many of them on target, XG of 0.9, he didn't score. But I think, if again, direction of travel with him this season, if you look at his stats in the Premier League, actually, I will show you, I'm actually tracking his every game okay. versus Holland since last season. Uh, people would laugh. That's uh, a, that's a, so a full sheet of paper held yeah. horizontally, and I'm seeing a lot of Colors. green squares. That's so a lot the, of wins uh, for A lot of City. green squares, really a lot of red squares, well. a lot of... Goals and got color-coded goals, goals and color-coded. There's a there's a, some G X G X G A in here as well. Mm. Oh well, wow, we're going Sash, granular detail here. here. What what does this sheet represent? Uh, so this this, this is Harlan compared to Nunez on yeah. this sheet uh, of paper. So this sheet represents that basically um, Nunez this season is actually even more involved than he was last season per ninety minutes. I think almost twice as involved as Holland is. So mm-hmm. he's um, he's not just just finishing those chances. Well, arguably maybe he shouldn't be finishing those chances. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, he's. Um, Compared to last season, his uh, XG has improved. He's scoring more per 90 as well. He's almost actually, before today's game, 0.9 goals per 90 minutes, which isn't bad at all. So I think he's improving. I think one thing that Klopp has mentioned this week as well, his English is improving as well. And I think... You know, for whatever you say, you know, some players maybe don't, like Aguero, for example, is a prime example, you know, doesn't really, didn't maybe have to learn as much English when he's over. But if you mm. come into a new environment, it's nice to be able to communicate with people around, around you, to be comfortable, to be able to understand things much quicker than what's required of you from the manager. And I think he's basically, he's coming to his own. So I think today, yeah, it was uh, it was a day but people go, ah, oh, that's Darwin Nunez. Uh, but um, I think uh, I think we see we're seeing a lo- much much better version of him. He will be okay. he will be a, a Premier League superstar. Mm. But he is prone to these WTF moments, and, and you saw well, that. the miss today. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was offside, but, but also, it was a miss. It you, was put, you, put that, you put that yeah. put that in the back of the net, please. Uh, Sash, you're in quite a good mood given how it could have gone. Uh, and also because you're just happy to be here. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Liverpool dropping two fat points there. They could have dropped three, mm. and they could have been in the position where they didn't take advantage of Arsenal's defeat, mm. which I think like it would have been bad form to do that. Uh, so as it stands, they actually, actually drew level with Arsenal. And in this situation, look, Liverpool, again, uh, don't lose a match. And I think this season, I mean, obviously it's one, one farcical defeat, but I think in everyone's minds, you know, it's important to keep the unbeaten run going. But it, it is a bit unfortunate that they draw... In order to challenge for the league, you, I think, in, like in my head, and looking at the seasons when Liverpool challenged... Against the teams outside the top six, you have to win about 24 games out of 28. And it's just become more difficult now because Brighton and Newcastle are very good as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it is two points dropped, uh, I think, in cold light of day. To be clear, Liverpool are... You now believe Liverpool are in a title race? I think this season there are several teams currently in the title race. Okay. But we will see exactly where Liverpool stand when they go to um, to the Etihad on the 25th at 12.30 again. Okay. 25th of November. 25th of November. And then we'll see because at the end of last season, Liverpool mm. were absolutely hammered when they went to City. They were not at the races. Mm-hmm. Many seasons when Liverpool have challenged, they just about stayed together with City like the season of two old draws. But I believe now that, yeah, Liverpool are in it. 
But we will see how serious this is after the game against City. All right, then. Earlier, Matt, Nottingham Forest 2, Aston Villa nothing. You were there. I was. What an afternoon. What a way to get your first victory in seven. Yeah, it was desperately needed as well, certainly for, for Steve Cooper. Um, apparently been under a little bit of pressure. I mean, anybody who has any sort of affiliation with Forrest who you know thinks that he's not the man to be in charge needs to have a good hard think, I think, because this is the most important person in Forrest history in the last 25 years at least. So, you know, going six games without a win, we ought to cut him a little slack there. But he did what he invariably does when he gets in these situations, which he was pretty much every game last season, whereby he comes up with a plan, nullifies the opposition, nicks a goal and wins the game. You know, they did that notably against Brighton last season in particular. But there's an acceptance amongst Forest supporters that if he does that and gets it right, it's no issue having 26% possession in a home game and watching the opposition have 13 shots while Forest have no corners. Because you understand that everybody, including the supporters, are buying into what the plan uh, for the game is. And, and also, when you get that buy-in, you get superb performances from Olerena, who was bought on a free in the summer. He scored his first goal for Forrest, but generally one-on-one defending. There's not many people better than him when he's on his day. Murillo, who's been absolutely unbelievable since he came in for £12 million after a handful of games for, for Corinthians. Um, Sangare, who had his best game by miles, Nicholas Dominguez. What I'm basically trying to get at here, James, is whisper it quietly, but Forrest recruitment has actually been really good over the summer. Excellent. Um, well, you know, through enough darts, you'll hit some bullseyes, I guess. Uh, when, <laughs> how nervous were you when, when Forrest went 2-0 up, given the precedence? I was very nervous, but also I was with my mum and, and she can barely handle the nerves. So she was making it a bit worse um, for everybody <laughs> around us, I think. Uh, but Villa just didn't have their shooting boots on. You know, Ollie Watkins didn't really feature too much, but they did have opportunities and they just couldn't really test Vlacodemos, who was making his debut um, in the Forest goal. And, and actually, as soon as the second goal went in, which was just after half time, you kind of felt like Forest had enough to see it out. And it was particularly poignant that, that the goal was scored when it was. I don't know if this was picked up on tally, but so RL Mangala scores with a, a big help from the world's best goalkeeper, Emiliano Martinez. Mm. Uh, and it came in the 47th minute, which is actually when there was an applause ringing around the stadium in memory of Adam Johnson, the, the Nottingham Panthers ice hockey player, who um, died in those horrible circumstances last week, which is you know, been something that's been hanging over the city for the whole week. So it, it felt really fitting that you know, there was an applause going on and then an even bigger cheer. It was a, a really nice moment. Sasha, your view? Uh, well, Did you see uh, any? Uh, oh, no, because uh, you had your son's I, birthday my party. My son's birthday party. So basically... How old is your son today? Uh, well, he was actually turned seven last week, but the party was today right. and it was science. So... Uh, I was, science was the theme. Science was the theme, so we're doing like zany science experiments. What kind oh, of thing? Amazing. Well, there was stuff. I mean, basically, they were doing like how electricity goes through you. Um, so then, through children, and how? Um, I mean, they were mixing stuff. They were making um, crazy slime. Right. Uh, at one stage, we went outside to shoot some uh, rockets. Great. Um, and okay. there was water everywhere, and uh, there was also screaming children running around. Right. So mm. it was. Um, so basically, I was. Uh, that's what I was what I was missing the Forest Villa game for. Um, oh, okay, so you didn't get to see Vlacodimos or Vlacodimos or any of those those things. I didn't see get to see Vlacodimos. I did see uh, the best goalkeeper in the world. Yes, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, the best goalkeeper in the world made uh, didn't make the best judgment in the world um, on the goal that went in because I think 
A, I think he's a little bit too far off his line, but that, that's what he usually does. But also he just misjudges the shot. It's, I think it's a much easier shot than he went for eventually. Mm. I don't think he really needs to make this, whatever he did with a strong upper hand and he just, just completely loses it. And you could see his face as he went to retrieve, well, as the ball was bouncing in, he, he knew it's just a bad, bad error. Mm. Matt, this uh, famous victory then, ending this run of uh, winless games, what does this mean now for Forrest going forward? Uh, it means that there's far less pressure on the manager for for a couple of weeks. That's the main thing. You know, we should have beaten Luton the other week and Crystal Palace before that. So we're scratching around for a win, really, Steve Cooper. But now you look at the table as we record. Forest are above Chelsea. Uh, they go to West Ham next week. Are in no sort of form, so maybe they can pick up a result there. But you know, Forest are what they are this season. They're a team that's going to finish anywhere between. 12th and 16th so mm. plodding along second season going pretty nicely please please don't change the manager alright well in a second or two we'll be catching on what Man City did against Bournemouth and asking Sasha whether his son's birthday party featured tantrums on anything like the scale of Mikel Arteta's post Newcastle before you get back to this athletic podcast did you know it's just one of many made by the athletic every week I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Doku. He's opened up the game beautifully there for Manchester City and Bernardo Silva. Who has Nunes in support, but might fancy it himself. It's delightfully done. And it's in, in the end. 
Man City are now top of the table. This weekend they faced Bournemouth. They got their 13th win out of 13 against the Cherries. 6-1. We're going to talk about Jeremy Doku now. Hey, Carl. Tremendous football player. He's, he's up there in, this, in the discussion for the best 1v1 winger in world football right now. He loves taking players on. Oh, oh. It, it, it's a deal that shouldn't have happened. You've given Pep Guardiola one of the best... Mm players that break down a fullback the sort of greed you talk about in the bible mm, he takes more players on than nottingham forest but it, it, there's a there's been a certain suggestion that pep's not the best coach for him because he might curb that joie de vivre but for now he's absolutely tearing it up this joie de vivre argument mm. I've, I've spoken to sam lee about this mm. now my opinion is you've got pep in the english language and how he's perceived and in the english language pep guardiola doesn't seem to keen on dribblers he very much talks about the need for for ball retention and you've seen how he talks about Jack Grealish and this sort of experimentation to turn Grealish into an eight when Pep Guardiola has given an interview in Spanish he very often says nothing he wants to do attacking wise is possible without dribblers Mm. so I think this is Pep every now and again doing the occasional fib when he's in English language going, okay, these quotes are going to travel a bit wider. Let me. Yeah, that, that's true. But having said that, there has been a, a change in the way, for example, Jack Grealish. Yes. Back in the days we used to see him play, which presumably are now over. We're never going to see him. He's <laughs> going to see as much game time as Calvin Phillips. Or... Well, I think it's, it's, it's a fun one in that Grealish, I mean, Grealish was fantastic in the Manchester derby. Mm. Uh, and I think Grealish will probably be the player in those big Champions League games. But right. Doku, just this joie de vivre you said, it was four assists and one goal. Uh, but they're all different as well. It wasn't like he was like one wing, the other wing, that for the fourth, the ball from deep. And it's like, wow, dude, you can do everything. It, yeah. th- th- we used to have this sort of pep incubator where at least when the player would come in, we'd know it'd take three months to, for them to, to figure it out. Uh, whereas this is the quickest acclimatization I've seen someone have when they've joined City. Yeah, it's remarkable. Matt, did you have your hand up to uh, come in on that? Or was that... Uh, I, I didn't, but I've got some really um, pertinent and intelligent points to make on this game. Okay. Um, chiefly, uh, Pep Bingo, talking about Bournemouth's courage at 3-0 down. Oh. Uh, absolutely, absolutely classic stuff uh, from the Spaniard. And I love Nathan Ake, happy to celebrate a meaningless sixth goal against his former employers. None of that I won't celebrate <laughs> against my old club business. And yeah, it finally clicked for me. We spoke, it must be a couple of months ago now, about Anthony Iriola and James, you felt he looked like somebody from Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's the Athletics Adam Crafton, isn't it? There is that as well. There is that. There is that as well. But I, I urge you to, if you're not familiar with which somebody from Raiders of the Lost Start, uh, the classic, tro- oh yeah, 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 the, the classic the, the, icon stealing scene mm-hmm. at the start. Throw me the idol. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it is. it's Molina. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Afro Molina. So, is he going to get impaled by the Premier League, or am I going too far here? No, no, that's no, yeah, that's very much, very much. In other news, Man City have now played twenty-two home games in all competitions in twenty twenty-three. How many have they won? Twenty-two. They're too short of the record, which was set by Sunderland as recently as 1890. Last visiting manager to avoid defeat at the Etihad. Matt, can you tell me who that is? Super Frank Lampard. Correct, (laughs) correct. That was on New Year's Eve 2022. And the next manager to try their luck is Sasha. The young boys manager. Yeah, Raphael Vicky. Anyway, that's on Tuesday night in that Champions League. A fixture which Pep may be going into without Big Erling because he was taken off at half-time. 
amid much consternation for a bit of a knock on the ankle, apparently. He may be back Tuesday, says Pep. He may be back for the weekend. It doesn't have to be back on Tuesday because they're walking that group. Hmm. They've got Julian Alvarez. They'll be fine. Can I I say a couple of things on Bournemouth? Yes. First of all, Bournemouth still have my umbrella from Wednesday, which I'm really annoyed about. (laughs) Secondly, um, best wishes to Alex Scott. Mm. Uh, who I found out from Football Clichés the other day is known as the Guernsey Grealish. And I loved him for the fact that I guess Liverpool on Wednesday, he kept on shooting from corners because <laughs> the wind was so strong. And yeah, I think he went he went off maybe with ligament damage. So best wishes to him. Uh, slightly less best wishes is to Andre Radu, uh, the mm. goalkeeper on loan from Inter. Got relegated twice last season with Ozer and Cremonese. Well done to him. Uh, he's um, underperformed his XG by 3.22 in this game, which I think now makes him the worst keeper in the Premiership. Sorry, sorry, hang on. Relegated twice. Yeah, he played half a season at Cremonese, and then he went to Ozer, and they both went down. You, you co- it's harsh, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be so harsh. I was so angry on Wednesday. I was like, I'm not going to be harsh against this guy. So, okay. I, uh, But the thing is, I think the problem with Radu as well, he looked out of his depth against City, and the City's finishing was superb, mm-hmm. but he didn't get anywhere near all those goals. Mm. Um, and, yeah... You had the worst trip to Bournemouth since Arsenal Academy. (laughs) Did you see this story? Matt, did you see the story? (laughs) I did, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I would say absolutely glorious, but I know the guy who films those Academy games for Arsenal, and I'm hoping that he didn't go all the way down there because he lives in Stockport. (laughs) So basically, listener, if you haven't seen this, Arsenal Academy announcing that their match on Sunday to Brighton, away to Brighton and Hove Albion, had been postponed. It subsequently emerged the minor detail that the game was postponed because their team bus drove to Bournemouth by accident. Uh, yes. Anyway, ooh, should we talk about what Arsenal did then on Saturday in similarly trying circumstances on the road when they visited St. James's? Hello, Taylor Payne here, host of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Hot on the Tyne. We're back and bringing you double bubble this season with two shows a week. So join myself, George Cock and Chris Woff and Jacob Whitehead as we dissect all the thrills and spills around NUFC, including the return of Champions League football at St James's Park for the first time in two decades. Just search for Pod on the Time wherever you get your podcasts and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. And it's kept in, is it, by Willock? Brilliant from Willock in the corner on the far side. Looks for the cross. It's on the line. It's in. It's in from Anthony Gordon. Yeah, there's that controversial Gordon goal from late Saturday night that handed Newcastle a 1-0 victory over Arsenal, much ado about Mikel Arteta's post-game comments about VAR. Let's hear them. He said, I think they're trying to make the best decisions. At some point, we need to give them support and understand that mistakes happen. Oh, no, wait. That was what he said after the Spurs-Liverpool game a month ago. Uh, This time, he said something quite different, strangely. He called it (laughs) an absolute disgrace and kept saying the word embarrassing 
and well, un- unacceptable, unacceptable, Sick, ashamed. <laughs> I mean, we're chortling. Obviously, it's a serious business, and there were legitimate questions about the goal. Does anybody have a definitive view on on whether it should have stood or nay? Gabriel got shoved in the back. I mean, that's. I think that should have been over right there. Uh, you can see the arms pushing Gabriel forward. He falls obviously on his face. I mean, what? I don't really understand how this could be any question about this. It's, mm. a, fa- it's a foul. It's it, a foul. <laughs> it's, it's one of those seen him given fouls. Mm. But I think I think they should always be given. That's that's the problem. It, it's that's a, yes. And that's what VAR is kind of notionally yeah. there to in, it, ensure. But it, I think it's it, the it, moment where you're seeing VAR do. Th- Three simultaneous checks for one goal, and this process is taking. F- f- like the and also, part. I mean, I'm wondering, like, are they going like twenty seconds, twenty seconds, twenty seconds, and they move from one to the other, so therefore they can't focus on a single thing. This process takes the better part of five minutes, mm. and they're checking for three things. And there was a similar experience, not as long, but there was an experience at Craven Cottage on Saturday where I'm going. When something takes this long, and this is not the smart, rational part of my brain talking right now, but when something takes this long, bin it off. Bit it off. <laughs> All right. Well, I, can I do the same thing with the VAR chat, which go is pretty on. interesting. <laughs> no, good, you, you're absolutely right, and I share your opinion, but yeah, we could go around in circles. Let's talk about the game, because even leaving aside the, the VAR, because even if VAR had disallowed that goal, it would have been nil-nil, and you would have had an Arsenal team that had gone to St. James's and not created, I think, a single chance, a single decent chance, certainly. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the most momentous moment in this game is the Kai Havertz tackle. Mm. Now that one is a, in my opinion, that's a red, and I think if if Curtis Jones gets sent off for a red card against Spurs, then this should also be a red card. And from that moment onwards, the game descends into a miniature farce. Bruno Gimalish completely loses his head. It was like the Copa Libertadores. <laughs> it was very Copa Libertadores. Uh, from that moment on, yeah. in that. I think four four Newcastle players got booked after the Havertz challenge. I think three, but the, clearly the sort of the the degree of the contest suddenly went up. Everything got a little bit hot. Yeah, which is perhaps maybe not against what Eddie Howe wants, given that he's turned them into Atletico Tyneside. <laughs> so it's again, I think looking that, looking yeah. at this game, this is this is how they want to win now. Yeah, like look at us, we're horrible, and also we're nasty and we're in your face. And look what we just did to Arsenal. Yeah, that, that that tackle turns it into a far more of a physical contest. Mm. New, Newcastle get a lot snippier, and then Arsenal get preoccupied with this physical arm wrestle rather than trying to create and fashion good chances and, and score goals. And this is how Newcastle eventually triumphed. Atletico Tyneside is the best way of describing it, right? We all know now, if you go to St. James's Park, it's like trying to get a seat on crowded public transport. You're going to get an elbow in the throat, and it's going to be... Ugh. On the goal, again, a goalkeeping question for you, Sasha. David Rea? I think Raya? We, we, saw, um, we saw this whole thing, conversation about him a little, being, a little bit too advanced. Um, I, don't, I think he is perhaps a step too far ahead of the front post in that situation. Mm. I don't think there's going to be a shot coming in, a cross would be coming in. One thing, though, as well, I think if he keeps his head, I, he doesn't try to reach for a cross that he's never going to reach, he might pick up the loose ball. Um, okay. So basically, if he... because. Once, once he's up there trying to reach this ball, he's never going to reach. He's out of, he's out of it. Like he, he, he can't do anything. If he just turns and stays on his line, he right. might die, be able to dive on that loose ball in that situation. It's, that it's a, a bit of a reach. Is that a reasonable gamble? I, I think it's better to do that than to go for a cross you're never going to reach. Now, Raya, one of the reasons Arsenal went to get Raya was because he was better at claiming crosses than Ramsdale and because he's 
at least within the Premier League, one of the better people going mm, up yeah. and getting that cross. So do you think Raya is at any point going, let me not do the thing I was brought in to do and I'm very but good I, at doing it? I think Raya in that situation loses it a little bit because if he's so good on crosses, he knows he isn't getting it. Okay. I, th- I think he in that, in that situation, he's out of it. Like he, he can't get to that ball. So therefore, you have to keep your head, go back across the line and see what happens. You, I think as a goalkeeper often, it's not about brilliance. It's about doing the right thing and putting yourself in a position where you have the best chance of saving it. Might only be 10%, but 10% is better than no, not percent, no, not percent, which is, I think, what he effectively did, did, did to himself there. Sensible rather than spectacular. Exactly, yeah. What about, uh, what about Newcastle? Would you like to say some nice words about Atletico Tyneside, Matt? Um, I mean, I could do, but I think we've kind of glossed over the, um, the refereeing thing here. So okay. We, I, I, it's quite amusing to watch Mikel Arteta whinge like that because he's got such high-performance podcast guest energy about him that it, it is funny to see him kind of lose his mind. But we've got Stuart Atwell in charge of this game. And, you know, I, don't, I think the Havertz one is just such a blatant red card. It's unbelievable. And the game falls apart after that. And this is a guy who gave a goal when the ball didn't go in the net back in 2008, who was demoted from the Premier League refereeing list in 2012 and returned. It is astonishing that he's still in charge of Premier League matches. And, you know, that's not why Arsenal lost this game. Or maybe they feel that it is because that's why the goal didn't go in. But... You can understand why they're so infuriated by it. And Newcastle are the beneficiaries of the the decision going their way this week. But what happens next week? It's just it, it's baffling to me that they, I know we I know there's a crisis of refereeing and you know criticizing them doesn't really help. Blah blah blah. And Arsenal putting out a statement is pretty cringe. But mm. this is just not good enough. I like, think that from the on-field officials or the VAR officials. It's true that we, we haven't touched on the fact that Arsenal then backed up Arteta's post-game words with an actual official statement saying. Uh, Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Sunday evening. Mm. Uh, and then makes a comment about how the Premier League is the best league in the world, the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. I would say this statement and what Arteta's done is going to benefit Arsenal in the short term. In that this season more than ever, we've seen that referees are human, they're very fallible, and they're also quite preoccupied with avoiding embarrassment. And when they are embarrassed, they they make, you can call it mealy mouth, they, they tend to have a reaction. And Jurgen Klopp did this to some degree where he called them out and then all of a sudden that whistle got very quiet for a couple of Liverpool games in a row. So, Which uh, team do you support, Carl? I support Manchester United. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so I, I, to not go too tinfoil, yeah. uh, I would suspect that the whistle is going to get a little bit quiet for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal mm. for until until about the new year. Okay. Well, there's, um, th- there's an irony here, by the way, in Arsenal releasing this statement on Sunday at virtually the same time that the Manchester City women's manager, Gareth Taylor, is accusing the Arsenal boss, Jonas Edeval, of bullying the fourth official during the game between the two sides Ooh. on Sunday. All right. It is it is a form of pressure mm. to, to, to pressurise referees into getting favourable decisions and you can, you can do it well and you can do it poorly. And I think Arteta and Arsenal might have done this quite well. Okay, we shall see. Uh, there's a long road to go before they arrive at locking referees in bathrooms, uh, <laughs> a la Luciano Moji, but uh, we're starting down that road. I, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of things to say about this game. I would like to just say well done, Newcastle, with the various absences they've had, took on Arsenal, beat them 1-0. I think we're the better side, probably, even though... They are. Yeah. They can delve deep into their burlap sack of players and <laughs> the, the system doesn't... 
doesn't take a noticeable dip. They are going to be physical. They are going to be very, very annoying to play against. Uh, and and I, I'm surprised at how good Jamal is. You know, Sean Longstaff is... It makes sense that now that Manchester United were interested in back in the day. Joe Ellington's celebration before the full-time whistle after a, a tackle, foul, pressure, regain, however you want to call it. They're just a hard, hard, hard team to play now. Is, is it a coincidence that the two Arsenal games against top sides recently, Newcastle and City, were just very low on quality and a lot on battling. Did mm. Newcastle copy Arsenal's approach against City or is it Arsenal are not really doing something themselves here? Uh, because like Arsenal City and Arsenal Newcastle could have been nil-nil, could have been one-nil either way, but they were largely unwatchable. Both Re- really scrappy mm. games, both of them. You know, the, the City result, I think a lot of that is the fact that City didn't have Rodri. Um, and then in this one, yeah, this is this is an Arsenal team that doesn't have Gabriel Jesus. Saka is not fit and looks like he needs three months off to recover from whatever's troubling with that Achilles. Uh, yeah, I think I think Arsenal now. We might have gone back to the Wenger days where people think the plan to beat Arsenal is to just try and beat them up. Now Declan Rice likes a scrap, so it's not gonna it's not gonna be foolproof, but I think some teams are gonna try. Mm. Next week, Arsenal will be hosting Burnley. Uh, their old nemesis, Newcastle, will be at Eddie Howe's old gaff, the Vitality, your favourite place. Uh, Sasha taking on Bournemouth, of course. Before that, though, they'll both be featuring in the Champions League. Arsenal will be playing severe, while Newcastle will make the trip to Dortmund. Big game that. Dortmund, you may have seen, involved in a big game this weekend. Sasha, did you watch this? Uh, I, I, watched, um, I watched bits of it. Did you see Thomas Tuchel getting spicy after? He can, he can do whatever he wants. So I, I was just looking at Harry Kane. How good okay. is Harry Kane? Yeah. I mean, I was just lo- like... I mean, I don't know whether... I haven't asked my mates from Munich yet whether he's better than Lewandowski, but the centre-forward play... Right. His goal-scoring rate. I mean, 15 and 10 and just... Oh. He's had three hat-tricks. He got a hat-trick in this mm. game. It was a 4-0 win for Bayern Munich over Borussia Dortmund. And Kane notching up his third hat-trick in his last six league matches, which was extraordinary. We'll, we'll talk to Rafa about this for uh, this week's Euro show, which will be up a little bit early, late, late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, in which we'll talk about the action from around uh, the continent and also preview the midweek action in Champions League match day four and Europa League and all that stuff. Man United's trip to Copenhagen. Oh, with the latest on Ajax, who've now won back-to-back games to Roar. Up the table again. Chubakpom. They're up to 10th. Chubakpom with th- three and two. Th- yeah, three and two. Yeah, Did yeah. you see his very sweary uh, celebration after, I think, yeah, after he scored the second against Volendam when they finally won a game? Yep. That's uh, what cathartic. to f- do. <laughs> basically. Very, like, very cathartic. Yeah, it was very cathartic. That was in English? Uh, yeah, he was basically, I don't know, I put it on the, on the website and you could, you could see him running towards the camera and, you know, swearing at the camera. But he's just Super. in the moment, in the moment. Yeah, well, if not then, when? Also out on Monday in other podcast news is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which these days is disguised under the title Full-Time Europe. But don't be fooled. They'll be touching on such diverse topics as, oh, probably uh, Chelsea's 6-0 win away to Villa, uh, Matt, which you were commentating on. But also, I imagine, the Emma Hayes news. Yeah, it was extraordinary because Chelsea gave Villa a proper paddling. Six goals, six different scorers, 27 shots they had in the game. It was incredible. And apparently the players didn't know until after the game uh, this news about Emma Hayes. And I mean, for me, this is the most seismic 
news that happened in football this weekend. You know, this totally changes the landscape of women's football in England. Um, she's been in charge for 11 years. Chelsea are trying to win the WSL for the fifth season in succession this time around. This is this is Fergie leaving Man United levels of significance and, and not just for women's football, but, you know, for Chelsea in particular, this, this madhouse where even before the ownership changed, there was change every five minutes within the club. She's been the constant there. This is going to have a significant impact on Chelsea Football Club as a whole, but obviously, particularly the women's team. But yeah, if you're Arsenal or Manchester City or Manchester United, your eyes are lighting up at this news, but it is a massive blow. For Chelsea, I think. The story, in case you weren't across it, is that uh, Emma Hayes will be taking charge of the US women's national team and will become the highest paid coach in women's football history. Some suggestions of that, that she'll actually be receiving the same fee that the men's national team coach, uh, Greg Berhalter, currently uh, receives. Matt, is it true that she previously managed in the US and what was the name of her team then? Yes, as I said to producer Charlie, um, it was a very glow um, which is Glamorous Ladies of Wrestling. Carl will have got the reference. Um, kind of tag team name. Um, really, really enjoyable. She started her career, actually, in the USA. She managed a few teams. Chicago was the one um, where she had the most success, but the one with the humorous name, which I don't think she'll be visiting again uh, anytime <laughs> soon. Um, in fact, I don't even know if they're still in business, but the Long Island Lady Riders, which, yeah, I mean, maybe a wrestling tag team, maybe a kind of 70s folk band. Well, anyway, there'll be more of that kind of chat in full-time Europe. But yes, seismic news. Very good. Next up on today's more Premier League-centric show, we're going to be doing a touch of On This Day and basically rounding up the rest of the weekend's action. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listener, are you getting this on Monday the 6th of November? If so, today is the 37th anniversary of, Carl, Manchester United hiring 
Sir Alex Ferguson, or as he was known back then, Alex Ferguson. Wow. It was November 1986. He came in for Big Ron Atkinson, who was fired having lost half of his games that season. Does that sound familiar at all? Just the scooch. How yeah. much did they have to pay him off that? <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't happened, that that kind of record. Uh, it hadn't uh, ever happened again until this season, of course, under Eric Ten Hag. Just to, an illustration of how life has changed, how football has changed. As you'll be aware, but it's kind of worth repeating, Sir Alex Ferguson took four years to win anything at Old Trafford. In his first four seasons, they finished 11th, 2nd, 11th and 13th. And then, you know, the good times started. Good times, the FA Cup. Do you fancy four years of Ten Hag while you wait for some success? Oh, his current contract runs out in 2025, I want to say. Uh, I think there is a growing consensus among the Manchester United fan base that while you can have a long, long argument as to whether or not Eric Ten Hag is doing a good job, can any manager fix Manchester United and take him to title challenges? Probably not. Uh, uh, One thing I will say and highlight right now is, uh, listener, there's a fantastic piece by Liam Tharm about the Manchester United way and whether or not it's real and whether or not Eric Ten Hag is on his way to achieving it. Uh, I highly recommend you go out and and read that piece. Well, Man United this weekend enjoying a 1-0 victory after their recent problems away at Fulham. Second year in a row, second season in a row that they have claimed victory at Craven Cottage in stoppage time This on this occasion. Bruno Fernandes uh, lashing in that chance that the Cottagers had repeatedly failed to clear. Sasha, you were at the game and tweeting, Fulham, Fulham, why do you do this to yourselves? <laughs> I was seething. Um, one of the reasons I was late to the subsequent game because I spent about 10 minutes being angry about what Fulham did to themselves. Okay. Tom uh, Williams also tweeting at that goal. Who needs an identifiable style <laughs> of play when the opposition kicked the ball straight to your players three times in the space of about five seconds? Just break it down for us. I mean, it ultimately falls down to the fact that Fulham, you know, there is an attack, it breaks down, Fulham players are all over it. And then ultimately, Joao Palinha in injury time, decides to clear the ball through the middle, mm-hmm. which is like, dude, what is are you doing? Is that a bad idea? Just, I think it's a bad idea, especially when it goes straight to Bruno Fernandes, who then spends quite a bit of time on the ball. And in that time, I think Leno kind of falls asleep. It's, it's, it's a move that owes a lot to that to the work of Facundo Palestri on the right-hand side. So he's, he's counter-pressing very hard. On the right, ball sort of pimbles around in the penalty area. Paulinho, so like Tomane, Marshall have sniffs. Or whatever, Reem has a has a nibble, uh, and it, it just ricochets into the path of Bruno Fernandes, who who does that sort of looks like I'm going to shoot my left, cuts inside, shoots on the right. Should Leno have done better to save it? Yeah, I think so. I completely. I think the only way that ball is going is his bottom left hand corner. And to be fair to Leno, he actually made a really nice save from a Bruno Fernandes free kick. He did minute minute minutes earlier. I don't know what what early earlier in the game, but I think in this situation, a Leno is a little bit too high up, mm-hmm. so he ends up having to dive backwards. And as any human would tell you, diving backwards isn't very comfortable. I'm so yeah, so he, he, yeah, so he kind of he loses the control uh, once he's down on the floor. He gets a hand to it, but it's not strong enough. And yeah, I mean, I I love Leno. Uh, I think technically he's a superb goalkeeper. That he should be saving. Okay, that is what he's supposed to be good at. Um, and it, it is a shame because I think at that stage of the game. You know, frankly, terrible game of football. Right. James, you said Manchester United fans enjoyed that one. No, yeah, that was yeah, not, we both wasted each other. That, that was, was not, not enjoyable, enjoyable at all. Game of football. That mm. was just 
85 minutes of... I don't think Fulham fans would have enjoyed it very, very much either <laughs> after seeing their team have 18 shots and then end up on the losing side. Uh, 18 shots and, and their kind of one striker, Rodrigo Muniz. Is he their one striker? He well, the thing is, I think it's his first start. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it? I, I, in the Premier League, because I right. think he played in the League Cup in midweek. Yes. And yeah, I mean, I thought they needed someone else up there yeah. because whatever they had so far hadn't been working. But I'm afraid, I, th- I think it's very difficult. He's, he's gone off now. Well, he went yeah, off in this he, game with he, 15 minutes to go in tears. So I'm not sure if that's the chances missed or the, the, the injury or what. I think he was trying to run off a ligament injury, which right. is yes. really a really terrible idea. Mm. Um, but I think, and again, Maguire had a great game. And I think there's probably a separate conversation to be had about Maguire repeatedly being hit in the head. Yes. Um, but the fact that Fulham kept on crossing the ball to Maguire when they really had no one to target there was really quite playing into Maguire's hands. Um, and I think, yeah, I think from Fulham's point of view, it's um, they, they, they are a team clear need over centre-forward. OK, uh, let's let's talk about the Harry Maguire uh, situation. <sighs> OK, I'm donning tinfoil around my head and I'm going to talk to you about cushions and whatnot. First 30 seconds of the game, Harry Maguire goes into an aerial duel with Rodrigo and it looks like he, Rodrigo's shoulder clatters him in the head. Maguire gets into possession in the back four and misplaces a sideways pass by a wide margin, passes the ball oh, straight that's out. that's right, actually. Yeah. Passes mm-hmm. the ball straight out of play and he more or less falls to his feet. And you're going, that man is concussed. Goes off, gets some form of medical treatment. And I'd say six minutes later, he enters the field of play, keeps playing football. However, during the first half, there are two or three instances of Harry Maguire doing things that just look odd. There's a moment where Fulham have a breakaway and Willian is bursting down the left, down the right-hand side and Maguire is pointing at him two or three times as if he wants another f- player to come into view and mark Willian, not realising that he is the one currently in a 1v1 duel with Willian. There is also another moment where he is in a, you know, again, trying to clear the ball and makes a clearance and then there's two or three extra steps with his feet in that he doesn't seem to quite realise he's already won the duel. Goes to the halftime, second half, there's a point in time where the referee very clearly looks at Maguire and goes, go off, you are, your noodles cook, your clock's been cleaned, you have to go and get more treatment. Maguire then gets some form of medical treatment again, re-enters the field of play, and he lasts the entire game. Maguire made, I want to say, seven clearances against Fulham. Right. At least three of those were with his head. Yeah, that was the really one. At least thing. three of those were with his head. And by all accounts, that was one of his best games this season. During the press So conf- that is really strange, yeah. During the pre- it is. Someone made the joke that he hit his head so hard he, he actually woke up a better player. Um, during the press conference, Eric Ten Hag was asked, Sam Wallace from The Telegraph uh, asked him, did Harry Maguire complete the concussion protocols? Eric Ten Hag said no, because it wasn't a concussion, it was a head injury. We all pull a face that Sasha's now pulling, where you do a frown. Then, three questions later, someone says to Eric Ten Hag, just to confirm, you did not say head injury, you said hand injury. Was that correct? Ten Hag goes, yes, that's what I meant. I meant a hand injury. Following the interview, I then talked to Manchester United and the club, elaborate on what was said and said the first instance when Maguire passes the ball out of play and goes off and gets treatment, he did get a concussion test and he passed and therefore was allowed to continue the game. In the second instance, it was an unrelated hand injury mm. and that is why he was sent off uh, by the referee and that was got treatment. I watched Match of the Day. Danny Murphy is pulling a similar face to the face Sasha is pulling, mm. saying we were told it was a hand injury, but 
the referee's action and gesture saying you have to leave the field of play and get yeah. treatment, a referee wouldn't typically do that for a hand and, injury. And why would why would the sideline management decide not to take him off even though he looked concussed? We don't know the full extent of Rafael Varane's injury status right now. He was on the bench. United also have to play against Copenhagen on Wednesday. Mm. And Eric Den Haag says Harry Maguire is not concussed, so therefore that is the story I have to go through. If he, if was, he concussed, was concussed, right. he, would be una- he would be unavailable to play against FC Copenhagen on Wednesday and most likely he wouldn't be able to play against Luton on the okay. weekend. There's, a, there's an easy fix here though, isn't there? It's, it's just to have an independent doctor to do the concussion test because what is the concussion test? The concussion test in this particular instance was this guy is barely walking straight. He shouldn't be playing in a football match, heading a ball repeatedly. It's really, really simple, isn't it? You just need somebody who doesn't have to fear for the ramifications of saying that out loud to somebody to say, he can't play in this match anymore. You have to take him off. If that means he missed the next 10 days, he misses the next 10 days. You know, what are the long-term consequences of playing on for 89 minutes with a concussion mm. where one of your primary jobs in the team is to head the ball away? Just while we're on the subject of things that Manchester United say and that, let's move from the uh, possibly injured Harry Maguire to the very definitely injured Marcus Rashford, who absolutely couldn't take any part in this game. This was another one that, that again, came up in the press conference. So at 11.30, team sheet comes up. Marcus Rashford was not in the squad. Hmm. Eyebrows are raised. Manchester United inform us that Rashford took a knock uh, at training. He travelled with the squad and he failed the fitness test very, very early in the morning. Ten Hag was asked about this following the result and said, was this injury sustained after your press conference on Friday? Ten Hag's press conference is where he described Rashford going out to celebrate his birthday as unacceptable. Right. And that it would so, be an internal matter that would that would be resolved. Right. So Rashford went out after the derby with City at a prearranged birthday party mm-hmm. and didn't miss training, didn't turn up late for training, didn't break any club rules. But Ten Hag still described that publicly as unacceptable. Yes. Which to me sounds strange. In any other field of work, hmm. going for a party after your working day and it not affecting your work in any way whatsoever, it is absurd to call it out as unacceptable. Hmm. Unless, of course, the manager is under a lot of pressure, etc. and so on. And therefore, it's an unhealthy environment. One of the issues that he's under pressure Mm. about is his relationship with the team. It seems a a strange move. Whether or not that has anything to do with the knock that Marcus may or may not have picked up and prevented him taking part in this this game. Should I mention, uh, I I, I, I don't know whether it would be topical. I mean, my experience of concussion, how frightening it is. Oh, yeah. It's precisely the questions you're asking. I've had three. I've had three concussions in my life. Because you would play for rugby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I once played where I smacked my head on one of those old Astros. Um... Over the last 60 minutes of the game, I remember five seconds taking a goal kick. Uh, after the game, my team sent me to hospital because I kept on asking what the score was and how I played every two minutes. And until the following morning, I didn't know where I lived. And they scanned my head and everything like that. And it's eventually sort of, it's like I lost like six months of my short-term memory. Um, Good Lord. And it, it came back after two or three days, but I was like, I, like, and still to this day, I don't remember what happened that last hour. I have vague memories of the hospital, um, but it is... Again, it's a very simple way of determining it. Uh, and again, the level of concussion, perhaps. And it's it's frightening. The well, concern here is, and the history of what we know about uh, head trauma and whatnot, is the first instance of concussion is bad. Where it gets a lot worse is where you have a yeah, subsequent yeah, concussion yeah. when your brain is trying to heal from other one. Luckily, United assured everyone that Harry Maguire was not concussed. So we can move on. Next up. Uh, Oh, let's hear a little bit about the Copa Libertadores and anything else you think is worthy of note from Premier League Match Day 11. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big news in the world of cup football, the EFL Trophy. 
is no longer known as the Papa John's Trophy. It's going to be henceforth entitled the Bristol Street Motors Trophy. Are you happy with that, Matt? Yeah, pretty happy. When it was the um, Johnston's Paint Trophy, mm. I did some work with them and uh, we did a goal of the round competition, which was called the Ultimate Finish. Nice. Ooh. What with it being paint, which was good. Um, yeah. I, d- I enjoyed the Sherpa Van Trophy. You being Matt as well, that, that tied in yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really good stuff. Uh, the Zenith Data Systems Trophy, of which Forrest are the reigning champions, last yep. contested in 1992. And let's not forget the Arnold Clark Cup. So, right. What was uh, the super sports? Do you remember the super sports? That was so. to replace the uh, when teams were banned from Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what the Zenith Data Systems. It was called. Yeah. Its actual name was the Full Members Cup. Oh, Full Members uh, Cup. I like that title. Uh, Copa Libertadores took place on Saturday night, and it saw Fluminense winning that title for the first time ever. John Kennedy scoring the winner in extra time. I imagine people have done the line about was it was his shot heard round the world, and maybe not. <laughs> Anyway, beyond all of that, it was an ill-tempered affair, Sasha. Ill-tempered. Low on quality, high on drama. There's one, there's one extraordinary <laughs> shot of a passenger play sweeping up field and passing in the background. Two players wrestling <laughs> with each other in the centre circle while play goes on around them. Magnificent. The, the thing is, Boca are terrible at the moment. Fluminense aren't very good. But what is really striking is how, A, how slow the game was. And B, everyone's dead old. Fluminense have the two lads in midfield, one of whom is linked with Liverpool, 22. A couple of 26-year-olds. The average age of the rest of the signing lineup was about 36, including a 43-year-old going for the Shilton record, like Felipe Melo. And you could see in the game that, you know, p- people were asking after the game, oh, this, this, this midfielder, that Andre, mm. um, that Liverpool are looking at, you know, look at his stats. I was like, how can you judge anything on this game? <laughs> It is absurd. There is a Boca Juniors team that kind of kicks people. Uh, these two young men are surrounded by very old people. And yet all three goals are brilliant. Fluminense winning the title for the first time. So that means they'll be taking on Manchester City, or at least they'll be involved in the Club World Cup with a chance to meet. But those two teams will have the chance to meet if they can get past other sides in Saudi Arabia. Oh, well, there you go. In front of those full stands. Four teams within two points of each other down the bottom end of the Premier League. That's Luton and Bournemouth, who are 17th and 18th with six points. And Burnley and Sheffield United, who have four. Sheffield United having claimed their first three points of the season this weekend in that 2-1 victory over Wolves. The club playing the great escape theme as spectators left Bramall Lane post the game. Took the lead through that banger from Cameron Archer which was the first shot on target that the Blades had managed in 200 minutes of football. They then had the heartache of conceding that 89th-minute equaliser of the Wolves, only then to be awarded that penalty, which uh, was up there with the Arteta thing, with the uh, Newcastle goal as controversial refereeing decision of the weekend. And poor Fabio Silva in tears after being adjudged to be the guilty party in what turned out to be Sheffield United's winning goal. It's um, it's obviously massive for, for Sheffield United getting close to the magical 12-point mark. Um, I, I much prefer Gary O'Neill's sort of consternation and befuddlement at refereeing to Mikel Arteta's toys out the pram um, attitude. But this could be big for Sheffield United, you know, because they've got actually got a decent run coming up. So they've got Brighton next away, but it's post-European game for Brighton. And, you know, it's not last season's Brighton. Then they've got Bournemouth at home. Then they go to Burnley, where Ooh. everybody wins. So there is a chance for them to to get some points um, on the board. Uh, the goals in this game 
the, certainly the um, the archer one was brilliant. He should be the only person, by the way, who can do the actual mm. uh, drawing a bow celebration because his name is literally Archer, so right. able to trademark that. I think Belgard's e- equaliser looks brilliant, and then you see the deflection, which is always one of the saddest things in football, isn't it? And that penalty from Ollie Norwood who you could tell me he's 26 or 46, and I believe he's just got that kind of face. <laughs> but goodness me, he thumped that in yeah. tremendously. But yeah, it'll keep Paul Heckingbottom in a job for another week, won't it? Much to Chris Wilder's chagrin. There you go. Wolves, meanwhile, become the first team to beat Manchester City and the first team to lose to Sheffield United this season, which possibly is the difference having Pedro Neto in your side or not uh, makes. Anyway, speaking of people going to Burnley and winning, as Matt just was, Palace did it this weekend. Burnley becoming the first team in English top flight history to lose their first six home games of the season. It's not supposed to be easy, said Vincent Company. Well, they've got uh, Arsenal away next weekend. Any ray of light, any any positive notes for Burnley at this point? I spoke to a Burnley fan on Friday uh, and he said, well, we won the championship by 100 points and we won the title at Blackburn. So I'm pretty cosy this season. I'm not going to get too stressed out. But it's... it's yeah. It's very hard to go from being a possession side, winning nearly all your games in the championship, see Norwich, to mm. not having the ball. And yeah, see Norwich. This is the difficulty now, where Burnley are now probably the twenty fifth best, twenty third, twenty fourth best team in England. But nice. It's, sound it's a recruitment. It's, it's a recruitment thing as well, though, right? Because we we look at Luton on Sunday and you see Chidozi Benny playing well. You see Kaminsky, who's a capable goalkeeper. Barkley looks like he's got something to offer. Andros Townsend, senior, even with a couple of contributions. But Burnley signings just haven't worked at all. I mean, Curly Osho's shown a couple of good moments, but Sander Berg, who's you know, previously looked good in the Premier League, looks a, a little way off it, and Amdouni not really doing much. And I think that's a bit of a, not an excuse, but a bit of mitigation for, for company in that it, it, his squad doesn't look stronger than it did last year when they relied heavily on Ian Matson, who's not there anymore, and, and others. And yeah, it just looks like a bit of a, a failure of recruitment, although company obviously is culpable for not changing the style in any way whatsoever mm, indeed so also this weekend there was Everton one Brighton one which was notable for a variety of things one was Lewis Dunk's remarkable disallowed goal another was the fact that Jordan Pickford had more touches than any Everton player which tells you a little bit about how the game went but also Sash it was notable for you asking uh, Duncan Alexander on Twitter since you were watching James Milner taking on Ashley Young, when was the first time they faced each other? And GS90, GS90 pitching in, Twitter user GS90, with Newcastle Watford, December 2006, I think. Duncan then confirms that. He says, yeah, correct. The last day the Open University was shown on UK television. Wow. Someday that, said uh, Duncan. Actually, I would, I would add, uh, the question originally came from my mate Paul Reeve, ah, yeah. who listened to the podcast <laughs> at the game, and he just went... Young against Milner, when was the first time that this happened? It's extraordinary, though, isn't it? So that's, what, seven, 17 years? years? 17 years. Wow. And Ashley Young playing a key part in this because it was his own goal. Unlucky. Which, very, very unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very good. Okay, but uh, let's skip past that then and finish with what you were describing, Sasha, as the game of the weekend, a.k.a. Brentford 3, West Ham 2. A game which you actually missed the opening minutes of because you were so disappointed by Fulham at Craven Cottage. And so you missed the extraordinary Mo, Mo Kudas. Well, extraordinary goal. Mope goal. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> as well. That's right. So he scored his first goal since September 2022, <laughs> and you didn't even turn up for it. Yeah, I, I was still cycling somewhere down Chiswick oh, High Road, I wow. think. Um, and I, I, I love the fact when I saw it that it was as scrappy as I expected Good. it to be. Good. One thing about he Neil just Morpé. needed one to go in off his nose. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was yeah. All he one thing about Mo- Neil Morpé is he's he's morally consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about Kudos? What about Brentford? What do you want to regale us with to finish off today's show? I could. Uh, it's the first time I saw Kudos play live. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I just missed his goal. He's um, tremendous. But he's You've seen it since. I have seen it since because it, his last game he scored a pretty special yep. one as well. But this was magnificent. Yeah, last week he made Zinchenko look very foolish, mm. and initially I thought this is Zinchenko, and now I'm thinking this could have just been brilliant. But there was uh, when he set up a moment when uh, I think Antonio got into Bin Rama's way, and this should have been three one two two to West Ham. But uh, I think he took a crossfield ball and a lot of pressure from Vitali Yenelt, who was the left back, and it just stuck to his chest. He opened up a gap in front of him, released Bowen, which led to the chance. But his whole, just, he's football, man. He's just, he's so, I think, gifted for it. He's so built for football. You see him off the ball, his interaction with the other players. Oh, I mean, the, the, it's unbelievable that West Ham got him, to be honest. I mean, if, you know, all those scouts watching him live, yeah. why aren't they all lining up to sign him for, for uh, other clubs? He was, he, I know he's linked to, to Manchester United and, and Liverpool for a little bit. They seem to, Brighton seemed to have a serious sniff. Um, but then in the end, it was West Ham to get him. He, he's a tremendous football player. He started off as a as a 10 through the right to dream system. Then moves to Ajax. Ten Hag saw he was very press resistant, so then tried to turn him to to a box to box number eight. We've seen him experimenting as a false nine, where he just he's not he's a false nine in the same way Dries Mertens was a false nine in that no, he was just a striker. Um, and now he's playing a lot more on the right hand side, and his potential mm. is up there. He'll be playing Champions League quarterfinals and semifinals eventually. I'm guessing they're also going to be losing Mo Kudos in, what, January, February for the Cup of Nations because he'll be turning out for Ghana. He will. He will. He will be wow. indeed. What about Brentford, though, and their man with a plan, Thomas Frank? That's, what, uh, five wins out of five against West Ham for the Bees. But also three straight <laughs> three wins in yeah. uh, mm. the Premier mm. League, uh, Burnley, Chelsea and West Ham. Sorry, Matt, were you nodding that you wanted to come in here? Yeah, just I'm um, pleased that we're giving some love to to Thomas Frank because to win three games in a row in the Premier League with a, a mid-ranking team, which is what Brentford are, uh, is impressive. But to do it without your first choice goalie, without Hickey who pulled out uh, late on, without Rico Henry, Sharda, Lewis Potter, Damsgaard, Baptiste De Silva and Ivan Tony is absolutely remarkable. I mean, I'm sure... Thomas Frank will be in the conversation next time a job comes up in the Premier League that's slightly higher than he is. But maybe he's one of those guys who just fits the club that he's at. But he's really kind of bent it to his will, hasn't he? He's, he's, I don't know if he's underrated, but maybe underappreciated in the wider game outside of Hounslow for, for, for what he's done as a Premier League manager. He's, he's got to be the most successful gone from the assistant to the manager type guy because it hardly ever works does it and he's totally outshone the person who he replaced Brentford they'll be aiming for a four straight win next weekend when Sasha they visit Anfield good lord alright well that'll be a delight that we'll be looking forward to in Thursday's show before as mentioned late Monday early Tuesday the Euro crew will be previewing the midweek games and talking about stuff like Do Classica so do join us for that with uh, Alvaro and Jules and oh. James and Rafa. Oh, here's one thing that that Sasha and Carl do want to talk about before we wrap it up. 
which is the fact that Fulham made a protest and they waved yellow cards in the air. Very nice laminated banners, just a quick mention. Very polite. They, they say, that is Please. so Fulham. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very Fulham because they went 18th minute, we're going to protest. Cards went up. So they were giving the yellow card to the fact that ticket prices were rising uh, okay. up by 18%, um, which is, which is a, a, a long-standing complaint Fulham fans have had. I'd say over the last three or four years, yeah. which is every time Fulham, yeah. every time Fulham get promoted back into the Premier League, the ticket prices go up. The ticket prices don't go down when they get relegated into the Championship, and then they get promoted again, and the ticket prices go up again. Huh. But I mean, so if you, if you look at the hard numbers, I was just comparing, you know, what the ticket prices were for Liverpool's visit last season, to United now, exactly this about eighteen percent rise. But you know, you pay seventy-seven quid. Uh, behind the goal, uh, next to the away seats, which cost 30. But also the fact that the new stand, the tickets are now between 150 and 160. Maybe it's the fact they can't fill it all because, you know. That's they, they absurd have, pricing. Just, it is obscene. It's, and these aren't packages or anything. These are just like normal, normal tickets. And I, I, think, I think it is absolutely insane. Um, and, but the thing is, I don't really, I didn't really understand the protest, you know, the protest, you know because it was all well organized before the game. And then when it comes to it, it's, it's very, it is too polite. All right, well. Maybe next time they won't be. For now, though, that's where we'll wrap it up for today's Totally Football Show. Sasha, thank you so much for including us on your tour of notable Premier League <laughs> activities of the weekend. Carl, thank you for coming in. Uh, have a great journey back up north. Matt, thank you for joining us from the East Midlands. Pleasure. Um, just to say, straight out of Cobham, Tuesday, deep dive on Emma Hayes' departure, plus the big victory at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Monday night. Crikey. All right, nice one. Excellent, Matt Davis-Adams. Thank you very much as well, producer Charlie. And you, listener, we're back late Monday, early Tuesday. Join us then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.